the topic of the entire story is this. Are you willing to allow God to heal you? How much good are you ready to handle? You're listening to a message at Grace Church of Alma, a place where the curious, bored, and discouraged can journey together toward a full life with Jesus. Since we took you guys into some new territory and into some some songs and some poetry, uh, I figured we'll take you guys back into the the scriptures for a while. We'll kind of dive and swim around here. So what we're going to do, the idea of this series, right? The idea here is that it's going to be the Bible stories that we grew up with, right? The ones that you grew up with in uh, the nursery and the kids' church. But we're going to kind of put a spin on it, right? It's the Bible stories for adults, right? Because the stories that we were all taught were beautiful and um, exciting, and they had some really good life lessons to learn how to be better people, right? But I think most of us who have read the Old Testament, who's read the Old Testament since you've been an adult? Anybody? Okay, uh, if, that, if it were made into a movie, what would it be rated? Okay, yes, we all know what it would be rated, okay? There's a lot of the stories that we can't share in these nursery rooms out here because the kids just aren't ready for it, right? So I figured it would be a great treat for us as adults to dive back into the scriptures with the eyes and experiences and the emotions that adults have because there's much to learn here, and so I think it's going to be a blast for us. Um, what always happens with the scriptures is we have a... Um, a few reactions, which are kind of ordinary. The first one is, if you kind of grew up in the church and you just, you figured that you know it, right? Oh, we're going to talk about that story. Okay, great. It goes like this, this, and this happens, this happens, okay? If that is your reaction, be careful. Be careful. You might not have caught what the story was really saying. The stories in the scriptures are not meant to be understood as much as they are meant to be experienced. What I mean by that is that any text, any story, any, anything that's going to really have the, the goal of changing us has to encounter us. We have to allow it to touch us, to affect us, to move us, right? Uh, what the Bible scholars tend to talk about in the Old Testament is that the Old Testament has a tendency to confront us. If I were to confront you in the hallway, what would that look like? Anybody? No one wants to say what they look like, right? Okay. It's aggressive. It's violent, right? The idea is that the Old Testament confronts us. It gets in your way, right? And then it wrestles with us a little bit. Because what the Old Testament does, it has this kind of a knack to it. Because the other reaction I get from people is, you know, it, it's people who might not see value in the faith. They might have kind of poked holes in the Scriptures, and they say, you know what? That book just isn't scientifically accurate. You're darn right it's not. You're asking a little bit much for people who were writing 7,000 years ago. Take it easy on them a little bit, right? No, you are absolutely right. There are not sea monsters in the sky right now. Behemoth is not swimming through the ocean in the sky. We call them clouds. Amen? And if you're already lost, you're going to have a good time. Amen? This is what the Bible is. And so if you, for no matter where you are this morning approaching the Scriptures, I want to say this. If you think it is just the absolute perfect book, if you think it is a joke, it has something to say to you. Because in this book, there are questions that humans have been asking for thousands of years. There are some of the, the deepest truths of being a being, being alive, that are inside of this book. And for that reason, 
these stories written thousands of years ago with people and experiences that seem so far away from us, these things always come home if you let them come home. So today, we're going to open up a new one. Uh, do we have any Friends fans? Anyone like the show Friends? Nobody? Okay, you're all lying. What did you watch on Netflix last night? Anybody? Okay. So thanks to uh, Susanna Hayes, I got the idea. We're going to go ahead and name all these Bible stories according to the way that Friends labels their episodes. So this one is the one with the guy and the fish. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, if you guys grew up in church, you guys know about how these things go, right? This thing's called a what? A felt board. Okay. Now, I don't actually have... Oh, see? Here's our character, Jonah. He has his hands clasped, right? This is the good guy of the story. Amen? Jonah. Now, I did not find a whale. I apologize. Okay? So, we're going to use a cave, right? Is that fair? A big, empty, dark opening. It's cold. It's dank. You don't want to be in there. Does that work for you? And of course, here's the bad guys down here, okay? If you, you can't tell, but they have like mean faces on, right? We have a phrase for that, resting something face, right? That's what they've got, right? It's, it's, it's the bad guys. The bad guys are right here, okay? So the story, as you guys all know the story, God speaks to Jonah in chapter 1. I'm going to send you to the bad guys, to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, right? And of course, Jonah responds as most of us would. He runs away. So here's, here he is praying, and God speaks to him. He runs away. Got it? Okay. Now, he runs away to a boat, right? He gets on a boat, he, and he gets on the boat. He's going to sail away from God. Jonah is not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? I'm going to sail away from God. Okay. So, the way that this thing folds out is he is asleep in a boat. We've seen this happen before in a story. And a storm happens on the water. Have you ever heard this in a story before? And the people on the boat begin to freak out. You ever heard this in a story before? Anybody? Hmm? Okay. Oh, you're trying to connect dots. And when they begin to freak out, they say, how are we going to get the God of the storms? Because again, all these people are Gentiles. They don't know who, who the God of Israel is. How do we get the God of the water and the wind to leave us alone? Because he's angry. So they begin to pray to this God. So as the bad guys, as these other bad guys, it's not these bad guys, it's other bad guys with the mean faces. As they begin to pray, right? They have this idea, and so they find someone asleep in the boat. You ever heard that before in a story? Anybody? Okay. And so they go, they find Jonah, and they say, hey, what's going on? How do we fix this? And they ask him some questions. They say, hey, so who are you? What do you do? And who people are you? Whose are you? What tribe are you from? And his answer, yeah, whose kin is you? Okay. And his response is, I belong to the God of Israel, right? He's not pompous at all. And he said, if you want the storms to stop, you should throw me overboard. Okay, as adults, I want you to put yourself in this situation. You ask, hey, what do you do for a living? And they say, hey, don't worry. If you want the storm, the storm to stop, throw me overboard. How are you reacting to this? They actually ignore him, by the way. They try to sail. They begin to ignore him. They get the, the oars out, begin to row to shore. Finally, the ship's about to crash. They throw him overboard. This is, this is where it all gets good, right? So here comes the whale or the fish, correct? If you want to be accurate, okay, the Bible says fish. Got it? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> it says fish, but... Since we have science now, we all want to say it's a whale. So the fish comes and gobbles him up, right? So he's now inside the belly of the whale. The whale begins to swim, and the whale takes him all the way to the bad guys, spits him out. <laughs> right? There he is. So now he is now with the bad guys, okay? 
And this entire time he's in the well, he has a really special prayer, which we'll talk about later. He comes to the bad guys, tells them the story of God. Hey, here's what God says to you. He's mad because you've been doing bad things. What they do is they actually pray. They get down on their knees and they pray. And an interesting thing happens here. God forgives them. There's no punishment that comes on them. In response to this, here's where the story gets good. Most of us, this is where the story ends when we're taught it back in these rooms, right? Because we can't really make sense of the rest of it. He gets angry, runs away, and he says, God, I wish you would just kill me. You would think he would say, kill me when he's inside the whale, right? He never says, kill me in the whale. He only says, kill me after the bad guys get good things. Now, on the surface level with the felt, it seems like a pretty straightforward story. Would you guys agree with me? No. You think something else is going on here? I love this. One of the things I understand in all these stories, right, is that the scriptures have themes to them. There are, there are bigger questions that the Israelites are trying to figure out. This story belongs to what we would call the, the Jewish Bible, if you would, right? And so these are collections of these very important questions or experiences that they've had with God. Ways they're trying to understand who God is. And like one of the consistent themes in the scriptures in the Old Testament especially, was why is this God so fickle? Do you know what the word fickle means, right? Just unpredictable, right? He says one thing and then he does a different thing. Hmm. How do we trust a God that we cannot always predict, right? Unreliable, correct? And so in this, the story starts out with a really interesting experience. So in chapter 1, verse 1, real short, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3. But Jonah set out to flee. So, here it is. Here's Jonah minding his own business. Out of nowhere, God speaks to him. Hey, this city makes me angry, and I want you to go talk to them. And he runs away. First of all, I want you to just imagine this. Imagine you're having an encounter with God. There's a voice from the heavens booming down to you, and you just take off running out of the room. How awesome of a, like, of a response is that? Literally just runs away. He doesn't he say, hold on one second, I'll be right back. No, I don't want to do that. He literally just runs out of the room. I love it. So the first question that we ask the story is, why is Jonah running? What were you told about this story? Why did Jonah run? Anybody? Because what? Because he's scared, right? Because they're bad guys, right? And like they're going to kill him, right? That's really interesting. Now, in the Scripture, sometimes you have to cheat. Do you guys know like what cheating is in a book? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some, um, who here likes to skip to the end and read the ending? Anyone? No one does that. Okay. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes if you know how a story ends, now other things make sense. You can kind of go back and piece it together. What's interesting about this whole thing is when you go to the end and you read the reaction of Jonah, you start realizing that the reason he ran from God in the first place didn't have anything to do with being afraid. He wasn't really afraid. If you notice, it's the same guy who's in the boat trying to go to sleep when this boat is about to be just wrecked and destroyed. They come down and say, hey, you should be praying. This is a bad deal. And he goes, oh, just throw me overboard. Those sound like the words of a scaredy cat to me. Anybody else? Eh? He's scared for his life. Oh, no. Hey, just throw me overboard. This God will send a big fish. It'll swallow me. It's no big deal. I've done it before. 
Come on. Anyone realize this is, this is outrageous? Okay. He's not afraid for his own life. If he were so terrified that he was going to die, wouldn't he be afraid of dying by sea? Or even better, who would just love to, to be swallowed by a large fish? Anybody? Would that unsettle you? Would you be afraid for your life? Anyone? Okay, when you read these stories, you should actually read them. You should say, that's ridiculous. He's pretty calm for a guy inside the belly of a fish. His, his prayer in chapter 2 is pretty formal. He goes into the same old school prayer format that anyone else would. Have you ever seen someone praying besides their bed and they do the whole, you know, Lord, keep me, but you know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Imagine if you were swallowed by a fish. Is this how you would pray? Would there be any four-letter words in your prayers, anybody? Would you be gasping, screaming, throwing up? No, you're all just awesome. You're all just so cool. No, no, we're good. It's, you know, it's in a book I read before. It's okay to be swallowed by fish. No big deal. Okay. He's not afraid for his life. There's something else at work here. So if he's not running away because he's afraid of these people, then why is he running? So who are these people? The Ninevites. Now, if you, if you go back in, in the Scriptures, if you go back to First and Second Kings, there, are, there, there is this people group called the Assyrians. What they do in the books of First and Second Kings is they're really good at war. It's kind of like their thing, you know. And they send these giant armies into Israel. The first time they come in, all they do is kill a few thousand people, that's all. The second time they come, they come and they completely conquer the city. But they get bored because they have other things to do. So what they do is on their way up, they grab a few thousand families, children, women, and they take them with them. So everyone who's left in the city is now without their family members. Imagine if you had just been in a war, someone broke into your home, and they just stole your children and left. How would you feel about these people, right? And they come back a third time, and, and, and this time... They besiege the city, which means they decide, instead of conquering it, because they've already done that, it's almost like torture, it's almost like playing games. They encircle the entire city, and they wait them out for months. So instead of having to kill them with swords, they allow them to die of starvation. And then they conquer them. And then they take everyone with them back to Nineveh. This is who we're talking about in the story. So when God speaks to Jonah, He says, hey, do you remember those people who broke down your door, and they had you starve, and they killed people you loved. Oh yeah, it's the ones who took your brothers and your sisters and your children and your, your spouse and your parents. It's those people. Are you now realizing why he's got bigger problems than worrying about a fish or about drowning? The God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is telling him, he's sending him to these people, that he can't even think about without wanting, without being sent into rage and to anger. That this is where God is sending him. But on top of that, if this is what's going on, if God's sending him to someone he hates, why isn't he excited? Because the words there in the beginning of the chapter say, hey, here are people whose sin has reached my nostrils. I, I smell them. Now understand this, okay? We are still trying to understand a God who created all things, who exists outside of time, inside of time. We don't exactly have everything figured out, right? And in this time, they didn't have everything figured out either. So the way that they understood God was they compared them to things that they did understand. 
So when they would talk about God's nostrils, what they're talking about is like they actually would use words like when, when it says that God is slow to anger, what it means is this. His nostrils are very long. Have a picture. And so that when he gets angry, right, the angry <laughs> takes a long time to come out. Does that make sense? Okay. I picture a bull. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, you got it. Okay. And imagine if a bull had a long snout, right? It takes a long time for his anger to come out, right? This is what's happening here. So if he believes that this God is angry, shouldn't he be excited to take this punishment and judgment? Yes. They're finally going to get what they deserve. These jerks. They're finally going to get it. And so he runs and he does the whole thing. We've, we've all seen that. What's powerful and, and, and interesting to note in this in chapter one is when he's on the boat and things are going down, the question that they ask him is so important because it tells you what this whole story is about. When the water is, when the storms are, are rushing and the waves are moving and they're about to die, the question they ask Jonah, what people are you from? If you have learned to be a good reader of stories, there are details that kind of tell you what's going on in the story. If you just notice them. For example, if we're about to die, I probably won't ask you where you're born. Does that make sense? Anybody? Okay. All right. I'll ask you, hey, do you know CPR? Hey, are you a good swimmer? I'm not. Take me with you, right? Do you understand what we're saying? You guys are not laughing. Okay. These are things I would be asking people, right? I wouldn't be concerned about this. And so it's a tell. So the fact that this, this shows us early in chapter one what this story is about. Whose people are you with? Why is Jonah running? Well, whose people are they with? Now, the story gets interesting in chapter three. I want to go here to uh, chapter three, verse six. Chapter three, verse six. So he's shown up. He's brought the word of the Lord. The God of Israel has seen you. He is angry, and his wrath is going to come upon you, right? And so your response is important. So here's the response. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. That is such a good picture. I Use these pictures to create them in your mind. Imagine this. New York City. Every little chihuahua and cat and gerbil has sackcloth on it. Come on, picture this. This is good stuff. Anybody, you use that thing up here. This is great. We are so afraid. Get your gerbils. Cover them in sackcloth. Okay. All right. These are great stories if you let them be, right? <laughs> let everyone call urgently on God. Of course, the word there for God is specific. The God of the Jews, right? Let them give up their evil ways. This is crucial, too. And their violence. Oh, my gosh. We don't have time to open that one up. Verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, that verse there, verse 9, this is also one of those kind of telltale verses. Here are people who know nothing about the God of Israel. And yet, when they are trying to imagine 
how this God is going to touch them, affect them, move upon them with anger and vengeance. The idea that they have is, who knows, maybe he's a better God than that. They've just been told that God is angry, they've sinned, they deserve a punishment, and God is going to bring that punishment and destroy this stupid, mean, awful people, wipe them off the face of the earth. And their idea is this, but maybe he's better than that. Maybe it's a God that is more good than what Jonah has told us. This is interesting. In the boat, when the waves are coming over the boat, and these Gentiles, these non-Jews, the bad guys, if you would, are praying. They actually say, hey, if we pray, maybe God will relent. And when they come to Jonah, they even said, hey, is there something we can do to get you God to relent? Jonah doesn't even have this imagination. This thought doesn't even come to his mind. No, he's not going to stop. He's going to kill everyone. Just throw me overboard. No, he's not that good of a God. He's really not. Just throw me overboard. He's going to kill everyone if you don't throw me off. Sorry. That's all there is to it, man. I wasn't here for the sermon last week, but I believe Pastor Zach talked about the goodness of God. Hopefully one day at Grace Church, you're able to kind of go through all of our, you know, we have time to work through some of the scriptures, but you'll see this. In the scriptures, there is a progressive movement. God is continually like laying these breadcrumbs. I almost grabbed communion bread to start doing it, but you, you know, you had the idea, right? Well, you ever like play with ducks before, anybody? Super mean, they can bite, they growl at you. It's awful, right? And so with these things, you just kind of have to like lead them somewhere, right? You just kind of just piece by piece. From Genesis forward, it is a, a movement of God giving us breadcrumbs. Come on. Okay, how about this one? We're about to see God lead Jonah and Israel into one of these, these giant steps forward, these big movements. One of the questions being asked in this text, in this story, is this. How much good can you handle? Sit with that question for a minute. If you're someone who takes notes, write it down. How much good can you handle? I think this is a powerful question for us. In church circles, we often pray for the goodness of God, for God to do good things. We call them blessings, right? We pray for the blessings of God, that God would give us good things. But a question in the Scriptures, and the question right here is this, how much good are you able and willing to accept? How much good can you handle? Here's where it goes. Because in verse 10, when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now, does this sound like a good thing, anybody? Does this sound, does this sound like a good outcome to you? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> and so what happens here, if you guys go on, the story gets good in chapter 4. This is where the meat of the story is. If you want to really begin to open up, what is the book of Jonah about? What why is this story included? Here's where all happens in chapter 4. What's, what's, what's sad is that chapter 4 is the one chapter we don't talk about at all with our kids. I can't do chapter 4 in the felt board. It just doesn't work, right? So here's what happens in chapter 4. But Jonah seemed... Oh, sorry. But to Jonah, 
this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Okay. Remember my question. How much goodness can you really accept? I think we're starting to see now why Jonah ran in the first place. He sees that God shows mercy, and he gets angry. Now, this is hard to swallow if you've never suffered before, but if you've ever really been harmed or hurt by someone, if you've ever actually been wronged in a deep way that has shaped your life, if there are experiences of pain in your past that you have not been able to let go of, that have forever changed who you are, then you might understand this line a little bit better. Because when someone has stolen so much from you, when someone has wounded you so deeply, when someone has changed your life, when there is something that you've, a pain that has been inflicted upon you, that you think about every single day, the idea of this person being let off the hook seems unfathomable. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And so he prayed to God. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is when I tried to forestall, meaning to avoid this, by fleeing to Tarshish. Here it is. We're about to find out why he ran in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Holy cow. I'm going to text all the nursery teachers. Is there a lesson for next, for next Sunday to the kiddos in the zero to two room? I ran away. I was willing to be drowned. I was willing to be swollen by a fish. I was willing to be killed. I was willing to anything else but to have a God who was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving. Now, this is an adult experience right here. I have never received more pushback as a pastor as I do when I talk about love, about grace, and about forgiveness. Ever. Don't tell me he's like that. Because I would rather die than live in a world with a God like that. Sit with that for a second. This is an adult story, people. It's not no kitty story here. This gets to the heart of what it is to be human being. I would rather die than not be in control and be God. I would rather not live in a world that I can't control the outcome for people who have wronged me. Man, what in the world? If you have not experienced that kind of hurt and bitterness and brokenness, hatred of someone else, then you don't know what this is like. But if you have experienced this before, then this rings true for you. 
And often the person we feel like this towards is God himself. I've, I've often heard this phrase the other way. I would rather just die or send me to hell than have a God who would give someone cancer or who would allow someone to take their life, would allow a child to be raped. I would rather die, right? See, there are questions that humans have been asking about God in the universe for thousands of years that haven't changed. Man. This is why I ran away from you in the first place. It's not because I was afraid of being killed or murdered. I ran away because I was afraid that you were as good as I thought you were. Man, let that sink in for a second with you. One of the first questions in this text, that if you let it penetrate into your heart, into your mind this morning, how much good are you willing to accept? See, the reason that the gospel brings a story not just of forgiveness, but of healing is because God could be the best God in all the world. He could be loving and compassionate, gentle, merciful. He could be generous. But see, a broken heart is not willing to accept it. It's not able to accept it. In my life, I've experienced moments where someone was willing to love me in a way that I deeply needed but I wasn't ready for. Have you ever experienced that before? Maybe you were the one offering it. That you were ready to love someone in a way that they needed to be loved, but they weren't ready to receive it yet. See, the gospel message in Christ is not just that you are forgiven, forgiven, but that you will be healed. It's not just that you will not get bad things for the bad you did, but that not only are there good things waiting for you, but you are going to be healed so that you can actually accept those good things. See, to this day, I'm really bad at gifts. All my friends know this. All the leaders know this in the church. I'm not good at accepting help. It's a brokenness in me I'm working on. Right? I'm allowing God to, to heal me of it. To this day, if you walk up and say, hey, here's this awesome gift which I know you want, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you're fine. And if you somehow force me to take it, I will feel terrible every step back to my car. <sighs> How do I pay them back? Because see, how much good we are capable or willing to accept has more to do with how broken we are, how much healing has yet to take place than anything else. See, what's really wrong in the picture isn't actually Nineveh. See, the Scriptures are so good at this. It's a trick. The focal point of the entire story was never about anybody else but one person. Who is that? The person who needs to be forgiven, the person who needs to be healed, isn't Nineveh. It's Jonah. This is who needs it. And sometimes it takes a boat ride. It takes almost drowning. It takes being swallowed by a fish to be ready to be healed, right? I won't go into all the details, but the story continues. And so, here's the question from, from God. I just love this. Oh, verse 3. This is great. The Scriptures are great. You need to enjoy the Bible. It's fun. Now, Lord, take away my life. Can you imagine? This guy's a little bit dramatic, okay? He's probably a, 
an Enneagram. I won't say it. I think I know what Enneagram type he is. Okay. Um, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And of course, and of course Jonah being Jonah, here's how, he, here's how he responds. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, meaning he, he's already running. You see, this is such a beautiful story. Here's God having a conversation. Hey, Jonah, what, Jonah where are you going? And he, he runs away again. Because the boat worked so good last time, right? He's like, forget the boat. I'm going to stay on land this time. There's no large fish on the land. And, and, so anyways, he runs away. He, he pouts. He sulks. He literally goes and finds a, a rock and lays down it and just like, oh, Lord just took my life. Let me die. And so God has a plant grow up over his head to protect him. And he eats from the plant and he has shade. And then God causes it to die. It's, it's, it's a beautiful story. God's messing with him. And then he gets mad again. Well, you took away my plant. Kill me. That's how the story goes. It's a beautiful story. I love it. But here's how it ends. Verse 11. This is a powerful question. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and also many animals. I'll just... So they're having this fight, and again, he gets angry. He says, just kill me. And, and God asks him the question again, is it right for you to be angry? And the final question from God to Jonah, was it not right for me to care about this city? So fill in the blank for you. Who is that person who stole from you, who caused harm to you, who caused pain in such a way that your life is, is forever different because of it? And the question of, for God to you is, is it not okay for me to care about them? Here's something so powerful, and I don't have time to open up all the things in the Scripture, but it's a little trick here that I wanted to show you, which happens in this passage. If we back up to verse 2, when Jonah first has his prayer and we find out why he ran away, he says something here. He says, so isn't this what I said, Lord? He said, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. What's powerful about this, he's quoting a passage from Exodus. I don't have time to take you there. But if you have your scriptures, if you're taking notes, if you want to go there, go to Exodus 34, 6 through 7. He's actually quoting this famous prayer from Moses where God gives Moses this actual understanding. of. So he says, here's who I am. I'm the God who does these things. But what's interesting about this, on the tail end of this prayer, he says and that in verse 7, he says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. Hold on. So the part of the prayer that Jonah doesn't pray is the part that Jonah didn't see. Because the prayer that God had given all of Israel in Exodus was that he was the God who was slow to anger, compassionate, blah, blah, blah. But, you guys ever talked to but people before? God is loving, but he is just. Right, you know what I'm talking about, anybody? Here's your prayer from Exodus, right? Here's Jonah who is ticked off because his but didn't show up. But what about the God who punishes children for their parents' mistakes? What happened to that God? You promised that you would punish their children, their children, and their children for the mistakes that they made. 
And because you're not that God, I'd rather die. Oh, if only we could put God in our boxes, right? Goodness gracious. But it gets even better. There's a bigger question that's afoot in this, in this passage. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. We're going to end on this. So I want you to see the full circle what God is asking. Because the subject is Jonah, right? The person who really needs forgiveness is Jonah. The one who really needs healing is Jonah. The one who really needs a God that is compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in mercy and rich in love. The one who needs that is Jonah. I mean, look at this little child running away from God and stomping his feet. Goodness gracious. Here's what this story is all about. I'll show you right here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Stop right there if you want to see that big question. Do you remember in the, in the book, Whose people are you from? Remember that whole question? I'm of Israel. And I will make you into a great nation. <laughs> this is that people. Israel. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, I, and whoever curses you I will curse. That's the part we like. It's the but God, right? But here comes the other part that we don't like. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. See, what's interesting about this the plan of God was always the same. He was always going to use Israel. He's always going to use Jonah to bless the world. That was always the idea. That was always the plan. He wasn't lying to them. Here's where it hits home. Here's where this becomes, I think, real for us. There's nothing that robs you like hate does. There's nothing that steals from you like unforgiveness does. Just kind of sit with that for a second. I don't know what it was like to experience the harm that someone did to you. I have, I have no idea. But one truth that I do know, one truth I do believe deeply, is that they didn't take anything away from you that was as powerful or deep as what you can rob yourself. When we allow ourselves to stay in this place of hate, of unforgiveness, of judgment, it always robs us. Because see, this entire story is a message to Israel, to the heart of Israel. In the story, God is saying, I know what happened to you. I know what these people did to you. I was there. I know exactly what they did to you, what they took from you, what they robbed from you, the pain that they caused you. but I want to heal you. Because see, what happens in our relationship with God is that our deepest gift in life, the things that bring us the most joy, the things that heal the world, the things that heal other people, that bring life into our own experience of this, this world, are always deeply attached to our ability to love. Such a simple, childish concept, but one of the hardest things for us to fathom. I've never been around more empty human beings in my life than people who are filled with hate, judgment, 
unforgiveness. The people I've always gotten in trouble for hanging around are the ones who are just way too willing to forgive and let go, right? Don't hang around those people. Those are troublemakers. Don't be around them. They don't like the but God as much as we do. But God punishes to the first generation, second, third, and fourth. Trust me, he has to be like this or else I'd rather just die. See, there's so much to experience of this God. So much to experience in this world. There's so much to share, to enjoy, to to be a part of. But there's always this stipulation. You are always welcome to receive, to partake in this. You're always invited in with God. But there's always that one stipulation. Anything you are going to receive, you've got to be willing to share. Anything you're going to enter into, you've got to be willing to bring another with you. Specifically, the one you don't want to bring, right? What Jonah is saying is, I would rather you be harsh, punish, and kill me if you're not going to be harsh and punish and kill them. I do not want any goodness. I don't want a piece of that goodness of of yours if you're going to give it to them. I would rather be the object of your wrath. Torture me, kill me, send me to hell if you're going to send them to heaven. I don't want anything to do with that kind of world. It's funny how the questions that we've asked as humans haven't changed much. So, the topic of the entire story is this. Are you willing to allow God to heal you? How much good are you ready to handle? How good are you willing to let God be? How much forgiveness are you willing to see? Obviously, all these things carry on to Jesus, and he says these terrible things that we all hate. If you forgive, I will forgive you. If you don't forgive, I will not forgive you. See how this passes on into the New Testament? We are in control of what we get robbed of. And that's the scariest thing of all here. Do we want to live in a world with a God who is this good, this loving, in a world that moves and functions this way, or will we rather just be dead? Again, pastoring, I get to spend time with a lot of different people, and the people who are the most empty on the inside, the most bitter, a shell of who they are, are the ones who will not let go of their idea of who is in, who is out, who is wrong, who needs to be punished, who doesn't need to be punished. How does this work? I would rather you just kill me because there's no way that I want to be a part of a God who is this good. Would you guys stay with me this morning? So here we are in a country that has so many beautiful traits about it, just amazing history in so many ways. And yet we're also in a country that for the last couple years, things seem to be getting increasingly divided. I don't know if I've ever sensed such a, a clear animosity, right? 
When I, <laughs> I said at 2 a.m., I was trying to read the story, and I thought to myself, if Alabama lost Saban, right? Had a heart attack. He just had to retire. That's awful, I know. And if Tua, his ankle did not heal, and they lost all their five-star recruits, and their stadium burned down, would I feel sorry for them? No, 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 I would not. Sorry. 48 to 7, sorry, what can I say? You know, you could have punted a few more times, you know? Shown some mercy to us, jerks, right? I don't know, play your fifth string if there is such a thing. These stories, if you let them, will move you, and typically they move us, they confront us in ways we're not comfortable with. If you want to let the Bible stay on the felt board, then go ahead and do it. But that's too boring for me. That's not powerful enough. That, that story can't change a life. It's not going to change the way I live my life. It won't change who I spend time with, who I give my attention to. It won't change me. But you give me a story that opens up how I feel about certain people and people groups and people who wronged me. You open up a story that says that maybe I'm not willing to let God be who He is. I insist that God be who I want Him to be. That I'm running away from God a hundred different ways because I do not want God to be as good as He possibly could be. Now you've got my attention. So Father, we just come to You this morning. We are the ones who need forgiveness. We're the ones who need healing. Where in our lives are we not willing, are not ready yet to have that much goodness? For everyone in the room who it's yourself who you are not ready for that kind of goodness. Father, for those of us who are not willing to let ourselves be forgiven, we won't let go of the things that we did to wrong people, the harm that we caused people all the dark parts of our hearts and our minds and our pasts. Lord, I ask that there would be healing, that we would experience healing from the inside to the out, that we would be ready to experience more of your goodness in our lives, that we would pass down a bigger God, a more good God to our children than the ones that we allow ourselves in our worst moments to accept. If it's family members, friends, neighbors, loved ones, spouses, co-workers, who is it we're not willing to let go of the pain and the hurt that they caused us? Lord, we ask that you, we would allow your scriptures to confront us, to not let us go. In Jesus' name.